where we were going. That is towards Jesus. Allowing the scriptures, the Holy Spirit, and the family of God to form a fidelity of allegiance to him alone. Please read aloud with me as we confess this together. Then Jesus said to them, If you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message, only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even a hundred times as much as had been planted. Well, good morning. Welcome to Church. We are thrilled you are with us. There it is. Uh, glad you are here in the room. If you have your Bibles, join me in Mark chapter 4. We just read this section of scripture, and we're going to take a look at it a little more here in a minute. Uh, if it's your first time, whether tuning in or in the room, just want to say welcome. Uh, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, and we're glad to take some time together and enjoy a little bit of our Sunday as we worship our King together. We've been in a collection of uh, messages entitled The Practice of Scripture, where we're learning the importance and the, not, not just the importance, the reason, and also how to read and study God's Word. And so uh, we, we've kind of said from the very beginning of this whole collection that here, here's kind of our big idea that we want to love God with all of our minds. And that's when we're growing in our understanding and knowledge of Him through the practice of reading and studying God's Word. Now, over the years, there are a lot of people who have come up with different ways to say and to tell you how important the Bible is, right? Like there's this one phrase that says, the Bible is basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible. And as cheesy and somewhat true as that is, I think it's really important that we understand that while the Bible is some instructions, it's so much more than just some instructions. The, the Bible is a lamp that lights our life, but it is no less than that, but it is definitely more than that. The Bible isn't uh, less than a roadmap for our lives, helping us navigate our way toward God, but it is also so much more than just a roadmap for our lives. The, the Bible is uh, not just as simple as a guide to teach you how to do life better and to win in your life. It's not less than that, but it's definitely more than that. It's... It's, it's, it's not that it's not a love letter from God to us. It, it's that. At minimum, it's that. But it's also so much more than just reducing it to only a letter in the direction from God to you. It, it's so much more than, than those things. And we saw last week in our 
message that in 2 Timothy chapter 3, where, where Paul writes and he says, hey, listen, it's important for you to understand that God's word is profitable for you to teach you, to correct you, to train you, to instruct you in righteousness for your equipping to do good works. In other words, God's word is there to equip us in what is missing from us naturally so that we can do the good works that God has for us. So, so that you can do the good works that God has planned for you. So that you can be someone who is growing in your faith. So that, so that when your coworkers walk through a divorce, you can go to God's word and show them exactly where they can find hope because of what God's word says. It's so that when you're walking through and you see somebody that you haven't seen for a long time and they tell you about a recent diagnosis and they are, they've been sick, you don't just walk away and say, well, I'll just be praying for you. No, you say, hey, can we pray right now? And you know what God's word says and how to employ it in a prayer. It's the good works that God has for you to do. It's something that you can. It's when tragedy strikes in a community you know exactly what God wants to say and do, how the Holy Spirit wants to bring comfort, and what God has already said about these moments in time. Because you know what they say. You know where it's found. You know how to read it. And you know how to bring it up and encourage someone else. Why? Because God's word is there to equip you to do good works. It's so that when temptation comes knocking at your door late at night, when, when you're feeling down on yourself and you know where the secret stash is. It's, it's where, where you know who to call to have a good time because you just need to escape a little bit. And temptation is staring you in the face. You know I don't need to go to any substance or any person. I know how to overcome the temptation because God's word shows me and tells me, has equipped me to overcome those temptations. It's so that you can live out every good work. So that when you are faced with an unforgivable situation, you know how to discover how to still forgive in that unforgivable moment. Why? Because you know what the Bible says. It's, it's, you, you've been practicing it. You've, been re, you've, you've got a practice of reading and understanding and knowing what it says so that you can go to God's word. It's when cultural moments get really, really complex. <laughs> And it's nuanced, and it's, well, what about this, and what about that thing, and this person thinks this. It's, it's when you can pay attention to people who talk, and when we make more, well, I feel like this is the right thing, statements, versus this is what I believe because Scripture tells me this is what I believe. Okay. Now we're equipped for the good works that God has for us. Right. Just listen to the, to the discourse of many believers in our world today when when they're trying to discern right and wrong in our culture, and they're like, well, I really feel like everybody should be able to just love themselves and do what feels good and their own truth. And I just, I just feel like this is the right thing. I think we need to make less I feel like this is right statements and more I believe scripture that says X is right and wrong in our lives and our hearts. Well, I just feel, I, great. I'm glad you feel. I'm really glad you can articulate it. Can I, can I be honest? In my own desire to be approachable to other people and help other people discover what God's word says, sometimes 
I'll even say, you know, I really just feel like this is probably more true to the Bible. But you know what? I want to be able to say, you know what? Such and such book at such and such reference point says this. And I happen to believe that it applies to this moment. Just being able to flip it around, even in my own way in which I have conversations with people. Listen, hear, hear me very, very clearly. I'm not saying that the answer to everything is, well, because the Bible tells me so. <laughs> like, great. I'm, I'm glad you can recite something, but do you have any compassion? It's grace and it's truth all at the same time. And I think many people in this room and watching online are familiar with what grandma has said about scripture, but we're not sure what scripture says for ourselves. And we, as a result, are ill-equipped to handle the complexities of our life today because we've lost sight of the importance of our own practice personally of studying and reading the scriptures. This is why this set of messages is so incredibly vital to your life. I believe that God's word is not just simply this, but it's so much more than often what we say it is simply. I believe God's word tells us of his character and his ways and his will written down for us to learn so that the Holy Spirit can transform our will and our way of living into his. I love this about scripture. And I think this is what Jesus was hinting at. This is why in Mark 4 that we just read, Jesus said, if you can't understand this one parable, you're going to have a really hard time understanding everything else that I'm teaching you. Because at the core of what Jesus was teaching us is the truth of God's word as seed for our own lives. Let's look at what Jesus said again here in Mark 4. Starting in verse 13, it says this. It says, then Jesus said to them, if, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? Verse 14. See, he had already told them the story. Then he had said some other things that seem out of context, but when you interpret it correctly, it actually makes a lot of sense. If you, I gave you some clues on how to do that last Sunday, and I, I wish I had time today to unpack how to do that again, but we'll just do it another time at another day. And he had already told them a story, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's really good. And in their minds, they were thinking, what does that mean? I don't understand it. Many of you are like saying, amen, but I don't really know, right? Like, it's just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's funny. Let's all laugh at the joke. It's kind of one of those moments for them where everybody's laughing at the joke, but nobody really knows what the joke is. Just kind of like, oh, let's not make him feel bad. Let's laugh. <laughs> kind of like that laughter right there. I'm just saying it all. No, I'm just kidding. And so he's explaining the parable to them. Verse 14, the farmer plants seeds. Somebody say seeds. By taking God's word to others, one version says, by proclaiming the word of God. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. Why do I believe that Satan exists? Because Jesus said that Satan exists. There are many believers, statistically, who don't really believe that he exists. That's a problem for you. There is an evil force, spiritual being, Known as Satan. How do you know? I don't know. I ha happen to trust Jesus, and that's what Jesus said. Amen. Satan comes at once and takes it away. Verse 16. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message, immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last that long. 
they fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for something that they believe in God's word. The seed that fell on thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. and produces a harvest of 30 and 60, even 100 times as much as has been planted. This is the word of the Lord. I believe God's word is seed for a fruitful life of allegiance to God. Father, Son, Spirit. God's word, the Bible, scripture, is seed for your life to be fruitful in your faith, your fidelity, your allegiance to God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Jesus told us so in this word, in, in this parable. He says this is, this, the, the seed represents God's word. The seed had different results on different soils. So the problem wasn't the seed. The problem was the soil. The seed will always produce what the seed is meant to produce. It's the soil that is the condition that must be understood in order to see the soil produce what the seed is designed to produce. Are we tracking? It's pretty good for a non-farmer boy. Just saying. Let's stop, talk for a minute. I just want to unpack this idea of the different problems of the soil, these soil problems that, that the Bible is referencing as it relates to your heart. Now, in case you haven't figured it out, the soil represents your heart and your life. The seed represents God's word. And anytime we are hearing the word, reading the word, studying the word, the seed is being planted into your life and my life. Now, the first soil type was the pathway. This was a problem soil. The pathway is where everybody walked. It was commonplace. There was everyday common occurrences. People walked along this path. And he said that Satan comes and steals away what God had sowed into their lives. And it's usually the way Satan likes to steal things out of your life, out of the soil of your life, and take away from the seed that you hear, is that you have been deceived so long that there are lies that you believe that you can't really reconcile with the truth yet. And so we believe lies about ourselves, and we believe lies about our situation, and we believe things that are not true. We've made agreement with those lies, and they become core lies in our lives that grip our lives, and we miss out on the reality that God is trying to say, and we have a hard time exchanging the truth of who God says that I am and what he says I can do versus what the soil says. Let me give you an example. I'm sitting here telling you, you can read God's word and understanding it, and many of you are battling in your mind, but yeah, I haven't, I haven't had success at that lately in my life. I read the Bible and I don't understand it. I'm not educated enough. You know what those are? <laughs> Lies. That while I'm sitting here telling you what God's word says, you're having it stolen right out of your ears, right out of your heart. It's a problem. That pathway, it's a problem soil. The second problem soil that we see is a, a rocky soil. This often represents, I think, the hardness of our hearts that comes because we have lived patterns of rebellion in our lives, choosing not to obey God's word, choosing not to apply it, choosing to reject it again and again, and something hardens over time in our lives. 
and our hearts as a result become deadened by unbelief and bitterness. Unbelief. That is the opposite of belief. Doubt is not the opposite of belief. Unbelief is the opposite of belief. A belief is a decision to choose to believe. Unbelief is a decision to choose not to believe. It has no activity to it. It's an unbelief. And as a result, it begins to harden our heart. You can, you can look at 1 Timothy 4, chapter 1 through 2, Mark 3, verse 1 through 5, Hebrews 12, verse 5, to discover more on that type of soil and that reality of our heart. Sometimes the, the condition of our heart is the crowded soil. An unguarded soil that is fertile to produce, but it's never tended to. So other things just naturally grow within the soil. There's, there's just other things. You're hearing the word today, and immediately you're going to walk from here, and your first conversation is, what do you want to eat? And we begin to crowd out all of that which we have heard with all of the other cares and normalcy of our life. My question is, when are you going to sit down and unpack what God was saying to you today? But we get crowded. Now, that's not a condemnation statement. That's just welcome to life. The cares, the concerns, the worries, the bills, the, the lure for more wealth. How do I get more, buy more? Where's the next sale that I need to find? I, all of the concerns of our life. Are my kids happy? Are they being active? Do they have enough sporting activities? Are we rushing from this place to this place? And all that we hear in God's word, we begin to consume and our minds come along. And what is good soil, ready to produce good results, is unkept unguarded, undisciplined, and other things begin to come in, grow, and siphon the nutrients that we did here. And the energy in the soil is now going towards the wrong direction, the distraction, rather than towards the thing that God is wanting to do in your life. You have crowded soil. And the cares, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for things that are not from God but are just things. They're not even sins. They're just things. Crowd and get our best energy rather than our relationship with God getting our best energy. Rather than the seed that actually is going to produce fruit in our lives getting the best energy. You know, I, I think that it's important to recognize in this crowded soil reality, this problem of the soil, is that um, I think this is exactly where the enemy of your soul, the devil, wants you, you, know, you and I to live. This is where he lives. <laughs> In other words, hears the word, believes the word, knows the word. All those things are true about Satan. He can quote the word. The problem is he doesn't treasure the word and obey the word as the most important thing in his life. I think this is where most of us here in America, this is the soil that we have to find ourselves constantly fighting to get out of. We have to guard and tend. The devil doesn't need you to worship him. I said it a few weeks ago. He just needs you to be so distracted that you're unwilling to worship God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's all he needs you to be. Just distracted enough. Then there's the good soil. 
And I think we read these passages and we're like, yes, I'm the good soil. I want to be that. But if I'm honest, sometimes I'm the, 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 the unguarded soil. Sometimes I'm the, I'm, I'm the soil that is just uh, rocky. I have unbelief in my heart and I have to deal with it. But then there's this good soil. This is the person who receives God's word and accepts it. That word is essentially they hear it, they accept it. In other words, it becomes commonplace of practice in their life. It becomes a natural rhythm of accepting, hearing, and obeying God's word. They've accepted God's word. And they're the ones who see this return, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. In other words, God's word will produce more in your life than just one moment of understanding. God's word is seed that isn't just about one moment of enlightenment, but over a life of transformation, if we'll allow it to. It's not just one moment of comfort and, and, and feeling good. It could be a life of reciprocal and, and repeated growth along the way. There's, there's a multiplicity. There's a, there's a multiplication embedded within the seed of God's word. There's something that can grow and multiply in our, in our lives through God's, through God's word. I think it's important uh, that we, when we are looking at this, and so those of you that have been around church for a long time, especially those of us from more of a Pentecostal charismatic kind of thought process and upbringing, I think it's easy to look at this, this, this parable for, for any of us, even, even in our American mindset of uh, more, we can look at this parable and think the goal is to, to figure out a way to get 100% every time. The point of this parable is not the results. The point of the parable is the reason that brings the results. Whether it's 30, 60, 100, doesn't matter. It's not about quantifying the results. It's the reason that produces the results. That's the point of this passage. What's the point of the passage? That you have a heart that is ready to receive the word that is the seed of God's word in your life. That you guard it, protect it, keep it undistracted, pull the weeds and throw the rocks out, till it up, cultivate it, protect it, watch it, and obey it so that it produces something in your life. Your job is to protect the soil, clean the soil, do all these things. God's the one who plants the seed and brings the increase in our lives. Friends, you might be sitting there thinking, okay, great, so, so how do I like the soil? How do I not get distracted, hard-hearted? How do I not let Satan come and just trample all over the path of my life? How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Here, here's what I would submit to you today. This is kind of how it's looked in my life. That a daily practice of scripture reading helps tend the soil of your heart and my heart. You want to tend the soil, if you want to guard the soil, because remember, in the crowded soil, it could produce it, the soil was ripe to produce. It was just that we let other things grow amongst the seed that siphoned the energy and the life that the soil was there to produce. So it has good soil. Problem is that it wasn't guarded. So how do we guard it? I, I think that a daily practice of scripture and reading and understanding it is how we tend the soil of, of our hearts. And the main way that I think we guard the soil of our heart is when we practice the scripture reading and meditating on, on God's word. Now, the word meditate is not necessarily how the world and its new age approach of mindfulness has been talking to us lately, where, where you say it. Now, sometimes it's just words and they, they can mean whatever the person saying them means. I'm not saying the word mindfulness is wrong. I'm just saying the more biblical word is meditation. 
And the way the Bible tells us to meditate is not to empty our minds, but rather to replace what's in our minds. So the goal is not to empty our minds to become one with something. The goal is to replace those things in our life, in our minds, with what God says. We want to replace the things that we think and what we feel with what God says. The word meditate in the Bible means to, like, call back again. To, to almost, to, it's to regurgitate to yourself. I've received it. I've done Just let me bring it back up and revisit this thought again. Like, it's a little bit kind of like, oh, this is nasty. But it's to call back to our mind, keeping it in our mind, in our mouth, and in our heart. Let me read you some scripture on this. First Kings chapter 2, verse 3 says this. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. In other words, it's going to produce what the seed is supposed to produce. Psalms chapter 1, verse 1 says, Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around in the sinful or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbanks, bearing fruit every season, not just in the appropriate season, in every season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all that they do. Listen to Joshua 1.8. It says, study the book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night, night and day. So you will be sure to obey. So you will be sure to obey. You will be sure to put into practice and do everything written in it. And only then you will prosper and succeed in all you do. Romans 12 verses one through two says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Hebrews 4 verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Somebody say powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and the spirit. Between joint and marrow, it expresses the innermost thoughts and desires. It's this practice of studying and reading the Bible, meditating on it, thinking about it, allowing it to be integrated and applied in our lives so that we see all that God wants us to see from it. I believe that the practice of Scripture is one that requires our intentional commitment, consistency, and consecration. Commitment. Set a time, set a place, know the setting, and commit to it. 
to, to practice scripture? What, what time of day are you going to do it? Some of you, you're like, I'm going to do it every day at this time. Well, hold your horses. How about we start with four days a week? I mean, if you can do seven, fantastic. But how about you set a goal for four? Just get started with four. Four times a week, I'm going to put it on my calendar, set an alert at this time, at this place, me and God, I'm meeting him. I'm committing to it right now. I'm committing to it. It, it takes a commitment. It takes consistency. Well, I did it for two days, but my life is still the same. I still, I still struggle with sin, and I, I've got these desires, and my mouth is bad, and I've just... I've done it for two weeks, Pastor, and it's still not working. Well, it took you 27 years to get this broken and screwed up. Two days ain't going to fix it all, brother. And those who have been following God a long time and still struggling said, Amen. Right? Like, that doesn't mean we give up. Oh, it doesn't work. The Bible doesn't work. Can't be trusted. I had a bad day today. Welcome to the club. I've got a commitment and I'm staying consistent with it. It's long obedience in the same direction that actually reveals a life of faithfulness. Not a moment of faith. Those are great. But it's a life of faithfulness that we're after. Commitment, consistency, and consecration. Consecration, it's this word that means I'm setting it apart. But more than anything, I'm willing to set my life apart for the Lord. I'm willing to say, God, what your will tells me in your word will become my will and my way in this world. I'm just consecrating my life again and again to the Lord every time I open the scriptures. Saying, God, I will submit to what your word says. More than how I feel, more than what I think, more than my opinion, more than my preference. If your word says it, God, I'm willing to submit my life to it consecrating my life to it. Then you will find the success. Then you will see that the seed of God's word, which is unchanging and full of life, will produce a life that flourishes in faithfulness over time. That's what it looks like. In the book, The Problem of Jesus, author Mark Clark tells about another book written by a man by the name of Malcolm Gladwell. It's a book called Outliers. And he, in it, articulates what he calls the 10,000-hour rule. Malcolm Gladwell investigated the lives of extraordinary, high-achieving people in an effort to discover what brought their success, what factors put Bill Gates, the Beatles, and Mozart in our history books. Gladwell observes that we often give too much credit to those who are, quote-unquote, nature and giftedness, and not enough credit to where they are from and the opportunities that they were given or stumbled upon, their nurture and environment. He challenges they were that, that these great people, well, they were just born that way. Narratives, and suggests that the, star, the story is far more interesting and nuanced. For example, he demonstrates that for someone to become a master of something, he or she needs a minimum of 10,000 hours of Practice in that thing. Drawing from the work of neurologists like Daniel Levitin, Gladwell notes that the data received from a number of psychological studies of musicians, artists, and athletes confirms that excellence at a complex task 
requires a minimum level of practice known as the 10,000 hour rule. 10,000 hours. Practicing. Is there no greater thing than scripture itself? Than walking in the way of Jesus? That would require our wholehearted devotion so that we could walk in it and find the success, the fruitfulness that God longs for us to have. There is no greater way. I want to take the next two minutes and tell you how I, this last year, have been practicing my own time with the Lord. It's a blend of kind of an inductive study method, an acronym called SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer, this inductive, and a Lectio Divina approach of meditating and prayerful listening and researching and letting God speak to us slowly over the course of time. It's kind of a merging of these two, these two thoughts into what we are calling SOAP 2.0. Somebody say 2.0. <laughs> SOAP 2.0. In fact, we have these uh, brand new journals that are available out in the lobby that will help walk you through this same kind of systematic, segmented way. These are available for $5 out in, the, out in the lobby. If you don't have cash with you and you want one, take one, it's our gift to you. If you've got some cash with you, buy one and use one. Begin to employ it in your life. If you can buy more than one, take the one that you need and leave the money here and we'll make sure others get it as well. And it's one way that we all can make sure everyone has access to these that they need. We also have um, some Bibles out in the lobby, these Fresh Start Bibles. I'm gonna talk to you more about why this specific Bible in the new year, um, but these Fresh Start Bibles are a great uh, devotional kind of a Bible for you to use on a daily basis and for you to bring to church and underline and follow along with what we're reading as we read it together in this new year. But how do I practice this? Soap 2.0 is a remake of this, or a remix, if you will, of this acronym SOAP. Scripture, but I say scripture. scripture. Observation, say observation. observation. Say ask. ask. Very well, and praise. praise. Let me tell you what each of these means. Scripture, this is where I have a plan ahead of time. Pre-decided the day before what I'm gonna read the next day. Having a plan helps you to do that. Now you can find a reading plan in the Bible app. There's a reading plan in the back of this Bible that you can follow along with. Have a plan, know what you're going to read. But I'll sit down and I'll begin to read the scriptures. Most of what I've been doing this year has been about one chapter a day, and that's about it. For years, I've read through the entire Bible every year with about 70% completion. (laughs) And this year, I just started to read it much slower. Maybe a chapter. And I'm reading each bit slowly, not quickly. I read it slower than I talk. Slow it down. And I just read every word slowly, thinking about it. I read it slowly. And then from that section that I read, I will select at least one scripture to write out. And I'll write it out. I write down the scripture. Which helps me launch into the next segment, the observation. This is where I just start asking who, what, when, where, why, how of the text that I just read. What's it about? What's it saying? What's it not saying? 
I'm going to not allow my shame of ignorance keep me from a childlike curiosity. I'm not going to let my shame of only reading a couple verses instead of a whole like three chapters to keep me from exploring what God is saying in this moment. I'm not going to allow shame to keep me from a childlike curiosity. I look for words and phrases that are repeated. I, I look to interpret the main theme or principle in the passage as an overall thought. I let scripture interpret scripture. I don't just read myself into the text. Thanksgiving, I had a good laugh with the Lord. I was reading a passage in 2 Kings, and it said this. It says, then Elijah laid down and slept under the broom tree, but he was sleeping. An angel touched him and told him, get up and eat. He looked around and beside him was uh, by his head was some bread baked, hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and then he laid down again, took another nap. Then the angel of the Lord came and touched him, woke him up, said, get up and eat some more for the journey ahead of you will be too much. If this was Thanksgiving morning, I'm like, this is the word for today. I'm going to eat. I'm going to sleep. I'm going to eat some more. But that would be reading myself into the text. That's not really the main point of the text now, is it? And as you read around the text, you could observe and note other things that stand out to you. And in the journal, just write out what are you observing? What are the words? What are the phrases? What are the things that are hitting your mind and your heart? What, what are they saying? What are they saying? What are you saying? Just write them down. And then ask. Ask the Holy Spirit. What's he saying to you today? Ask him, what does he want to say to you today? It could be about the text. It could not be about the text. And I will write out the question that I'm asking the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me today? Holy Spirit, where have I been living this out? Where have I not been living this out? Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do in response to this today? You might be sitting there thinking, well, like, if I write it down and the Holy Spirit starts talking to me, how do I know it's God? How do I know that it's the Holy Spirit? How do I know? How do I know? How do I know? I think you'll know it because you'll find it somewhere else in Scripture. I think you'll know it because it'll be revealed over time that that was true, what he was saying to you. I believe you'll know it's true because there are other spiritual leaders and mentors and people in your life, pastors, connect group leaders, friends, that can confirm, yeah, it sounds like something God would say, or nope, that's probably not from God in our lives. But we, we read the scripture slowly. We write out what we're noticing in the scripture, and then we just sit with it for a minute, and we listen to what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And then praise. What do, we, what do I do in this moment when I come to this segment, this last P? I will write out the phrase, God, today, I am grateful for, and I fill in the blank. I log each time I do this, one specific thing I'm grateful for. And I just sit for a minute praising God, thinking about and adoring God, allowing my affection to be warmed by the truth of who God is, and I see his provision and work in my life. Why gratitude? Here's why. I think gratitude is one of the greatest weapons that we have against our own selfishness and entitlement. I think gratitude is what gets us into God's presence. It's the passcode to allowing his presence to be sensed in any one moment. 
gratitude also. I read a study recently. Scientifically, psychologically, gratitude is linked to being an antidote to helping reverse anxiety and depression. Now, it's not a cure-all. It's not like some magic pill that you take, well, I'm gonna list 10 grateful things and I'm no longer gonna deal with anxiety and depression. It doesn't quite work that way. But it sure helps. It begins to guard your heart. It begins to help you move in a different direction. This year, I began to do this because I began to see in my own life the stress and the anxiety and the weight was getting really consuming for my own life. Just life, just things. The weight of helping people navigate a pandemic where people are confusing political solutions for spiritual solutions. The weight of just life, being a dad, kids growing, just all sorts of things. And I knew I needed to shift my thinking. I knew I needed to re-engage in a different way. So I just began to grateful. And through that process, this SOAP 2.0 was kind of formed and formulated in my life. Is this the only way to have daily devotion with the Lord? Is this the only way to practice scripture on a personal life? No, it's not the only way. It's just the way that's been working for me. And I think it can help you too. The question is, what is it that you are seeding into the soil of your life? Day in, day out. What are you seeding into the soil of your life? My, my hope, my prayer is that we would fall in love with the word, that we would be a people that knows what God's word says, not just what we feel like it might say. Would you stand as we come to the table of the Lord in a moment of consecration before him? And if you have the elements and you would like to participate, you can grab these elements and go ahead and open them up. The top layer open, the bottom layer open, and you can just allow some pause in this moment in your own life and soul. Once you get the elements open, just hold on to them and begin to close your eyes and take a couple deep breaths and just take a moment and just whisper the prayer, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me? Maybe it's about beginning a new commitment of consistency and you're going to go home and you're going to write out a time, a place, a setting where you're going to sit to meet with Jesus each day, to open his word and to maybe do this scripture observation, asking and praying, praising. Lord, as we stand here, with these elements in our hands, the bread which represents the body of Jesus broken at the cross, and the juice that represents his blood poured out for our own forgiveness, Lord, we, we just confess here in our own ways, God, there are ways that we have failed to put this into practice. Lord, we're not looking for perfection, and you're not looking for perfection because those things are unattainable. But Lord, we can indeed daily practice 
this studying and reading, this time in your word, the scripture. And Lord, for many of us, this is our commitment. This is our consecration to you. Saying, God, would you help us to do this, to grow in you? Would you meet us every day that we open your word? Would you speak to us, God? Or we want to do our part in protecting the soil of our heart, cultivating the right soil so that your spirit can transform us as the seeds of your word are planted within us, producing what you long to in us. We thank you for it. We give our lives to you, Jesus, fresh and new in this way. Go ahead and take the bread. Now the juice. Gracious Father, you know all, you see all. And Lord, in our weakness, you can be strong. Lord, we don't want to be followers of you who follow you because we feel like it's the best thing to do. We, we want to follow you and know what it means to follow you. We want to know what your word says about things. Lord, it gets complicated and it's complex at times. But Lord, may our consecration to you be simple. We just simply say yes again and again. God, we say yes to you. Yes to time with you. Yes to following you. Yes to obeying you. We say yes. Now, Lord, I pray a blessing over this family. That the Lord would bless you and keep you. That the Lord be gracious to you. Lift up his countenance towards you he give you his peace, his shalom, his wholeness. And God, may everywhere we go this week, we be reminded, Jesus, that we are radically loved by you. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the people of God said, Amen. Amen.